okay, don't worry. This is not my overnight bag. We won't be here that long. I, I just had some, some little props today. Yeah. Okay, if I haven't met you, hi. I'm Marianna. I'm part of the teaching team. I love how we take turns around here. And we've had a lot of activity this morning, and I hope you're ready to continue with a little mental exercise. Yes? Oh, they sound thrilled. Yes, they do. And to help you with that mental exercise, you have a lovely card. And my two handsome assistants are going to pass out lovely pens. Just raise your hand if you need a pen, and if you have one, then just you can use your own. We need a pen up here in the front. Two pens in the front. Two pens in the back. I could, I could start a rap with that. Then the day would really be long for you. We started off the year talking about living life on purpose, discovering why God put us here, why we're here at this moment, and what our life is all about. And then Randy's been talking to us about living life fully. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. And Randy described that as being not just that we're filled up, okay, all my needs are met, cool, but that we have so much of God flowing through us that it flows out and splashes onto the people around us. Everywhere we go, there's a puddle of God that people are stepping in. And today we're going to talk about living life fully forward. I like that word forward. It indicates motion. And I don't know how many of you are multilingual, but one of the things that's hard about learning a second language is that you have certain concepts in your mind that exist in your native tongue, and then when you learn this new language, there's no word for that. And so you're trying to explain it, but you can't quite. The, the word God sounds very much like a noun, a thing, a person, a concept. And that's really not what the word is. I have a book written by a rabbi that's titled God is a Verb. And I connected with that because my first language was Spanish. And in English, when we read the Gospel of John, it starts out with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. You've read that once or twice, right? In Spanish, it says, in the beginning was the Verb. And the verb was with God. And the verb was God. That's the nature of God. Think about verbs. Things you can do. Love. Speak. Breathe. Create. Heal. Resuscitate. That's the nature of God. Forward motion. So just to get your brains working, I'm going to ask you a question, give you a little prompt for something to write on those cards, and I want to encourage you to use both sides of your brain. Now, we tend to think we have only one brain, like we have one bladder, but there's a lot of differences, among which are if you cut the bladder in half, you have two halves that don't work. If you cut the brain in half, each half still works. They don't communicate anymore, but they still work. Your left brain is the kind we exercise in school. It's the kind that lets us process numbers, letters, symbols. It lets us plan for the future, think back about the past. 
it's the one that's always worrying, this little chatter always going on. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. And so-and-so's going to say something about it. And now this is going to go wrong. Okay, that's the left brain. The right brain is the more instinctual one. It's what we might call the heart. You ever, you ever heard somebody say, my brain's telling me this is the logical thing to do, but my heart says this is the right thing to do? Right, yes, right brain. It's the, the one that lives in the present, the one that makes you react like a child when you see a beautiful sunset or when a deer comes through the woods and you go, oh, wow, that's right brain. That's the part we connect the most with God with. Uh, you might have uh, heard Randy a couple of weeks ago talk about a time in his life where he'd been studying the Bible for quite a while, but he told this pastor, you know, I feel like I know a lot about God, but I don't think I know God. Left brain, right brain. The reason I'm telling you that is because you're probably dominant in one or the other. In our culture, we tend to foster the left brain a lot. And so as you answer these questions, if you're thinking logically and making your little list, stop and encourage your right brain to kick in. What's your heart saying? And if you are a heart person and you've written down your one thing that you're passionate about, that's probably how you know it's your heart. Boom. You've got one answer. Stop and think, okay, let's think about this. What else might I know? Okay, here's your first prompt. We're going to do several of them. What are in your life some areas for growth? For example, I've told you I've started exercising a little, but that's an area where I need to grow. I need to become a lot more my own leader, have a lot more initiative about doing that every day, doing it consistently. In my family, there's relationships that I need to work on. I know that's an area for me to grow. Professionally, there's a software that I want to learn how to use because it's, I think, much, much better than PowerPoint. You guys will enjoy my presentations more. My students will enjoy my presentations more. So there's different areas of life. Write down things where you know you need to grow or where somebody has invited you to grow. Maybe your spouse has been saying you ought to do some of this. Maybe your pastor or your community group leader has been saying, I think you're ready to take on some responsibility here. You might not agree. That doesn't matter. We're just listing areas for growth, whether you agree or not, things you know you need to grow in or things where somebody else has been encouraging you to grow. You can finish writing as I start talking again. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Last Sunday, Randy talked about four different institutions that the church has been compared to. Anybody remember what some of those are? The church is like a, like a hospital where people who are injured or sick get healing. What else? Like a school, people learn. What else? like a family where people are nurtured, and one more. 
army where people are led and follow and fight and win and all that good stuff. And he talked about how in each set there's some leaders and followers and the idea is that we keep growing up so that we're not always the little kid or the student. We start teaching others or nurturing others. That's forward movement. So thinking about what is the church, I have a little video for you. If we can play our first video, video number one. And this is kind of to keep your thinking muscle going. Sound, please. Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. from George Barna's research um, from the book Maximum Faith where we start out not even knowing there's a God concept and get to the point where we accept Jesus, become Christians, and then we start doing activities. We start doing stuff in church. And we keep growing. We become the church. We do stuff as the church, not just in the church. So if there's any extra areas you might need to add to your little list, things you can do as the church, write those down. But here's what I want to know, and you don't need to raise your hands or anything. I suspect that for some, if not most of you, as you're watching that, part of your reaction is, yeah, that's great and all, but my plate is full. I only have so many resources, I only have so much time, so much energy, and I'm already doing, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff at work, at school, at home. And so, yeah, there, there's good stuff to do as the church, but I can't handle one more thing. 
And if you're feeling that way, that is perfectly natural. It's understandable. We do have limited resources. And so we can feel like I have no more capacity. That's part of why God stretches us and wants us to grow so we have more and more capacity. And even though it's natural, we are more than just natural beings. We are not just a tree. We have a spirit, and I'll call it the human spirit. You could call it the heart. And I really believe the human spirit was designed to overcome hardship and feel great satisfaction in doing that. There's a great joy in that. It's not designed to just, you know, we, like we grow physically to a certain age and then we stop. That's not what the human spirit is like. It's designed to keep growing, to keep moving forward. And that's, that's called thriving. We don't just survive, we thrive. There's an author named John Ortberg that said this. He said, thriving is what life was intended to do, like a flower stubbornly pushing through a crack in the sidewalk. It is why we pause and wonder at a human being's first step or first word, and why we ought to wonder at every step and every word. Thriving is what God saw when he made life and saw that it was good. Thrive was the first command, be fruitful and multiply. And I could talk for a while about what that looks like, but I'd rather just show you. I came across a video that shows you a live that if you put a video next to Thrive in the dictionary, this is the video I would show. So let's do video number two. Wow, they're still glad I'm here. And listen to the song as well. The song is for you. The video is about this little boy, but the song is about you. When you cry, be sure. Dry your eyes. Cause better days sure to come. When you smile, be sure to smile wide And don't let them know that they have won And when you walk, walk with pride Don't show the hurt inside Because the pain will soon be gone And when you dream, dream big As big as the ocean blue when you dream it might come true When you dream, dream big And when you laugh, be sure To laugh out loud, cause it will carry All your cares away And when you see, see the beauty
watched that like six times and I've wept every time so I tried not to watch this time the human spirit is designed to overcome hardship and feel great joy at that achievement did you see that joy in his face you know I didn't cry because I felt sorry for him I cried because it's to me it's so awesome to see God working through a person no matter what and he likes doing that there was a guy named Frederick Herzberg who contributed a lot to the use of psychology and business management. And what he spent his life studying and researching and teaching was motivation, what motivates people, specifically at work, but in general. And the most interesting thing to me is why he came across that as his life's work. When he was a young man, he served in World War II in Germany. And he got to see firsthand what happened at one of the concentration camps. And he was mystified why the German people would cooperate with this in any way. What would motivate someone to either do these horrible things or to allow it to happen? And that's how he started studying motivation. And with his research, he realized that people are partly motivated at work by money. Health benefits, you know, the reason we normally take a job. But there's also other motivators. Um, and he said the most powerful motivator wasn't money. It was the opportunity to learn, grow in responsibilities, contribute to others, and be recognized for achievements. Forward motion. And I think that's very true when we're healthy. And the trouble is that we've all had some kind of hardship in life. Unless you're extremely young, you've been hurt somewhere along the way physically, emotionally, socially, psychologically, spiritually, in some way you've been injured or been sick. And that can change what motivates you. So, for example, many of you have heard that I had kind of a rough childhood. And the most important thing to me was to keep myself safe. My life depended on it. So it might not be a surprise to know that as I became a young adult, when there was an opportunity to do something new, to overcome an obstacle, to achieve something, even though I'm very competitive and all that, my tendency was to say no thanks because that was risky. And my purpose in life was to stay safe. Okay? So it wasn't until I was able to grow past that that I was able to take advantage of some of these opportunities. And so it, if a, the big driving force in your life is not to move forward, to grow, to take on challenges, to overcome obstacles, that's understandable too, but we don't stay there. Think about Paul. He went through incredible hardships. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he wrote, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, forgetting what is behind, I press toward what's ahead. The past is the past, but I can do something about the future. And that word press toward is from a Greek word. The picture that comes up in your mind is of um, a runner, an athlete, track star. 
leaning forward. You ever seen those pictures at the finish line where they're leaning forward with their whole body trying to get across that finish line? That's the picture of press toward. I'm pointing towards a goal, Christ Jesus, and I'm leaning forward towards it. That's what Jesus did, even though he knew very well what that goal was, which was the cross. It wasn't because it was going to be a big party. But he leaned into it anyway. And, of course, that wasn't the end of the story. So we're going to do some more exercise there with your card. If you need more cards or some at either end of the stage. If you had no difficulties, no obstacles. Let's say tomorrow you won the lottery, the one you don't play. You just found a ticket on the ground. Okay. You found the winning ticket. You won billions of dollars. That paid for all your financial issues. It paid for all the medical care you need to take care of, all your physical issues. Somehow it magically solved all your relationship issues. You have no problems. You have no obstacles. What could God do through you? Okay. And it might not be a great big thing. You might not be the next Billy Graham. That's okay. But maybe he could encourage elderly people through you. Maybe he could teach children about God to where they know him. They don't just know about him. If you're not sure, ask him. What could he do through you if you had no obstacles, no difficulties, no handicaps? Like the song said, dream big, as big as the ocean blue. something I've realized about God is that he likes to do really unlikely things with really unlikely suspects. And I think about this little boy, Cody. When he was born, they told his dad, his mom was still in surgery, but I mean, while they're sewing her up, they tell his dad, your son has all sorts of problems. We don't expect him to live. Get ready to say goodbye because this is essentially hopeless. If I had been there and I had, and God had said, Mariana, I want you to tell him the exact opposite, the most unlikely thing that could happen to this kid, that would sound cruel, but okay, the most unlikely thing I could think of is to say, hey, don't worry, your little boy is going to become a great athlete. A great athlete that when you go on YouTube and you put in his name, by the time he's 10, you see 20, 30 videos of the different competitions he's competed in. And rather than be a miserable little crippled person, he's going to be so full of joy that he inspires others. He's going to go and speak to wounded warriors, and their lives are going to be changed because of seeing him and hearing his message. All of this by the time he's 10. Does that not sound like the most unlikely thing? This kid needed heart surgery. He needed spine surgery. He had all sorts of things wrong with him. And yet, that's what God decided to do. Think about Paul. Paul was, before Christ, an expert in Jewish law and very passionate about about enforcing that law. He hated the fact that there were Jews that were saying this Jesus guy that had been executed was um, the Messiah, and he was chasing them down, getting them killed. 
Now, if God said to me, Mariana, I need someone to go out to people who aren't even Jewish and tell them about me and then and tell them about Jesus and then come back to the Jews and say, hey, Jews, take it easy with all these laws. These other people don't have to follow all those little rules. As long as they have Jesus, it's okay. Who, Mariana, do you think I should pick to do that? You know, I might have gone with, like, John. He seems kind of lovey-dovey. Not Paul, or Saul, as he was called. God does this because then his glory shines through. It is obvious to me that that kid is not an athlete because he has such a great body. Okay, can we agree on that? This is a God thing. Bringing it down, not comparing myself to Paul or Cody, um, because I'm little enough that maybe you can relate to me, one of the things that God has put as a purpose in my life is to support leaders. Since I was little, I had a special compassion for leaders. That in itself is very unusual. Most people either idolize leaders or resent them, hate them. Very few people have compassion for leaders. But since I was little, and this was a God thing, I understood that it really is lonely at the top. And you become a target, and people hurt you, even the people you're trying to serve. And so I had that compassion for leaders. But the leaders in my life, not just when I was a kid, but even as an adult, employers, parents, teachers, have let me down, have abused me or neglected me. So as far as unlikely suspects to be a big fan of leaders, not so much. That, that's not what I would have picked me for because I have lots of reasons to not trust leaders and not like leaders and all that. But this is what God does so that you will know it's a God thing. It's not because Marianne is such a loving person, such a submissive person. Okay? Don't laugh so hard, oh husband of mine. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So what's thought, you know, I, I say the best jokes and he doesn't even chuckle. And I have to say, oh, come on. And then he'll say, oh, well, now that's funny. So what is it that stops us from living like Cody, fully forward, just see an obstacle, overcome it? We'll talk a lot more about this next Sunday and about what to do about that. But today I want, I want to focus on one main thing, and I think that's a lack of desire. Not because we're bad people, but maybe because of what we've been through. In 1 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is writing to a young pastor and says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And in my bag of tricks, I wanted to show you. It's here somewhere. I spend time with God. I think that's something we should all do, and in his word. And I've been doing a read through the Bible in a year thing. You know, you read the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice. I've been doing that for several years. I think, think it's a great discipline. But I, I was feeling really dry. It just wasn't working for me. So I asked God, is there something else you want me to be doing in this time? You show me what to study. And I came across a book. I actually got it on CD-ROM so I could have the links. Uh, Sparkling Gems. Sparkling Gems from the Greek. 
by a guy named Rick Renner. He's actually a pastor in Russia, and he is an expert on the uh, New Testament languages. So he can really tell you what a word meant, and so you, you'll hear a lot of these definitions in this lesson and next week. And in talking about this verse, this is what he says. According to this verse, desire is not only an important quality to possess, it is a requirement for any believer who wants to fulfill God's plan for his or her life. The word desire comes from the Greek word which means to stretch forward or to reach toward. It denotes longing, cravings, urge, burning desire, or yearning ambition to achieve something or become something. It portrays a person so fixed on the object of his desire that his whole being is stretched forward to take hold of that goal or object. And I think of um, crazy fans that decide that this singer or this actor is their soulmate. They're meant to be together and to save the world together. And so they start following them all over and writing them letters and buying the ring and planning the wedding. They don't even know this person. That's the picture in my mind. In other words, this word doesn't portray a person who just thinks about becoming something. Yeah, I think I'll be a good Christian. I think I'll please God. I'll go to church Sundays. And, you know. This is a person who is determined to become something. He has put his whole heart, soul, and body into his dream, and he won't take no for an answer. Does that remind you of anything? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. He will do whatever is required. He will change anything in his character that needs to be changed and do anything he must do to achieve his goal. It takes only a few personal experiences with desireless people to make it perfectly clear why Paul put this quality at the top of the list of character requirements for leaders. Okay, these are his words, not mine. I might agree a little, but these are his words. Okay, don't, don't, don't the messenger. There is nothing more dreadful or irritating than to work with someone who is gifted and talented but doesn't even possess enough initiative to get up and do his job. As I said, one of my greatest frustrations, and this is true of every leader, is in trying to help, nurture, and develop people who have great potential but are apathetic about life. Apathetic is when you just don't care, when your attitude is, yeah, whatever. Desireless people stroll through life at their own pace, accepting standards and practices that would never be accepted in the business or secular world. They are like dead people. You push, shove, beg, plead, and pray for people that fit this description to get involved. And finally, they respond to your constant request to do something at work or in church. They even do it for a while, at least until they feel a little opposition or are just too tired. At that point, they give up. First misunderstanding, first time it's difficult, I'm done. These people don't have enough desire to make it through the obstacles they face along the way. So what he says we need to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up strong desire in your heart to become all God has called you to be and fulfill all that he has told you to do. And keep developing your desire until it's strong enough to overcome the forces that come against you along the way. Stretch forward with your whole being and take hold of your goal. And when I saw that, where he said, become all that God has called you to be, I was thinking of that army slogan, be all that you can be. Okay, a little shift now. David and I finally got to take a little mini break and went to the beach last weekend. 
and you know, when you go to the beach, you go to the souvenir shop. And we happen to have, and brag about it at every opportunity, two new little grandbabies. And so that's another excuse to shop. And so at the store, found this little onesie in an army cami. And on the front, it says, pee all that you can pee. And this is appropriate for a baby, right? Because they're busy growing physically, their brain's developing, but they can't produce much except for pee and its partner. So they basically eat and pee and eat and pee. And this is cute for them. It's not so cute for adults or teenagers. Imagine if I tried to put this on. Yeah, not so cute. As I go through life, I'm supposed to leave a puddle of God, not a puddle of pee. And yet, how many people do you know? I'm just going to leave it there. Because, of course, none of you are like that. All right? Amen. Okay. So I've got one more video for you. And I want you to consider about your life, not what's happened in the past, but starting today. Are you going to be all you can be or the alternative? Are you going to run the race like Paul, stretching towards that goal and asking God to show you what that goal is? Go ahead. Jesus made a new deal with us. He said, I'll die for you if you'll let me live through you. We're going to have Lord's Supper now. And I'll let Kevin and Cindy talk to you about that. Okay. Well, welcome to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. At the vineyard, we practice open communion. So anyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to come and join this meal. Concerning the meal, the Gospel of Luke puts it this way. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We understand this new covenant between God and his people in the context of his original covenant, which involved the repeated shedding of blood from animal sacrifices. In Exodus 24, we read, Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. That's the Ten Commandments and all the instructions that followed. Then Moses, Aaron, uh, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue Lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, 
he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. And concerning the new covenant, we read in Hebrews 9 and in 10, a couple of verses in each chapter, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from the sinful deeds from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. And again in chapter 10, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And that's what we remember when we celebrate this meal. Today, um, what we would like to do is have you guys come up in um, groups. Uh, maybe, uh, Benjamin, you could just play some soft music and you can be praying and thinking about what this meal means to you. But come up in groups of about maybe 10 or so, um, and we'll gather around the table and um, serve communion um, in smaller groups. And then you can return to your seat. So we're wrapping up our service, and as you go, keep these note cards with you. Consider the ways that God is wanting to splash this love out through you, and ask each other, what did you write on your card? What's God showing you? What crazy, unlikely thing might he do through you once he blows out all those obstacles, as he is wont to do? particularly in your community groups, talk about these things. If you're not in the community group, it's really hard to make forward progress without the other elements, which include connection to other people. So consider that. Do you have any other? Okay. Some of us will stick around in case you have some urgent prayer needs that you would like prayer for. But I really want to encourage you to connect with someone over the things that God has been stirring up for you today. And then come back next week and find out more. Thank you.